This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Oh Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Start now. What's up, everybody? We are back. It's another beautiful week. I'm Ryan. Shira is in Hawaii. You know, honestly, I don't know what she's doing. She may be planting trees for the environment. Who knows? But Shar Jassel is here, entertainment journalist, my BFF. She might even be eating some granola. <laughs> or dancing for TikTok. Honestly, I would actually pick those choices before anything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I know there'll, there'll be a lot of hiking. I know there'll be a lot of meditation. There'll be a lot yes. of Shira-esque things on her trip. She'll be gone for the entire week. And so, Shar, you're filling in. Yes. Welcome back to the mic. Welcome back to Channel Q. Thank you. It's good to be back. I know, right? I feel like you were, Monday. you were just here filling in for me. Yes. <laughs> you're filling in. About a week ago. <laughs> It was literally a week ago. Literally a week ago. Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy to have you. Did you have a great weekend? Were you prepared to like tackle this week with me? I, I was gearing up yesterday, really, honestly. My weekend was the first relaxed weekend that I've had in maybe a month and a half. Really? Yeah, because I was out doing everything <laughs> with everybody, okay? Honestly, um, I may, I may, you know, um, have contributed to that at one moment. Definitely. I, actually, I did tell the story of when we went out and we walked in to the Rocco's and we're eating boneless oh, wings. and we crashed I- Iggy Azalea's, uh, <laughs> her little set over there and, and wrecked those boneless buffalo wings. They were yes. pretty good. But yeah, I was just really in the house and just recharging and just trying to get my, my stuff together. I got a, a crazy, hectic month, and I already feel like it's already over. Well, I'm so happy <laughs> that you are here with me. We got a lot to cover on today's show. It is Non-Binary Awareness Week. The kickoff has started today, and our good friend Travel Anderson will be joining us later in the show. And of course, coming up in this hour, we are talking all things how Britney Spears may be the key on bringing both the parties together. What is going on here? Um, And, you know, we got so much more, so stick around. Today's going to be a really, really good show. But let's get started with what's trending this hour. So President Joe Biden on Monday showered praise on the mass anti-government demonstrations that occurred in Cuba the day prior, with thousands of people flooding the country's streets in the largest protests the island has seen in decades. Here is a little bit of what the president had to say. The United States stands firmly with the people of Cuba as they assert their universal rights. And we call on the government, government of Cuba, to refrain from violence or attempts to silence the voice of the people of Cuba. 
the president went on to say that uh, Cubans are bravely asserting fundamental and universal rights, adding that those rights, including the right of peaceful protests and the rights to freely de- uh, determine their own future, must be respected. Now, if you did not know all of this was going on, Cubans are angry about the collapse of the economy, food shortages, and the government's uh, handling of the pandemic, and so, honestly, just being probably in Cuba. I was about to say, they pro- they clearly <laughs> are in far worse conditions than we are, but what I find so funny about this story not that anything's comical but it's like would biden be yeah that's what i mean yeah would biden be praising the united states in the same way for for being anti-government and fighting the resistance would he be tipping his hat to us taking the streets i mean peacefully protesting well we have heard his thoughts about when you know things especially when it uh, in terms of the black lives matter movement and the protests that kind of um end up you know happening and what happens happens on the streets where things are getting looted Just and all keep that. that same energy yes he, he he does have different energy for sure uh-huh. that is a very good point uh, <laughs> next up the fda is expected to announce new warnings on johnson and johnson vaccines related to a rare autoimmune disease Lord have mercy. now this autoimmune uh, dis- uh, disorder that has been linked to the johnson uh, and johnson vaccine is a serious but rare side effect called the jillian barr syndrome in which the immune system attacks the nerves so about a hundred preliminary reports of uh, Jillian Barr have been detected after the administration of 12.8 million doses of Johnson & Johnson vaccines in the United States. So, honey, watch out. If you are a J&J vaccine girl, um, just watch out for that because that is kind of intense. You know, it's so wild. I don't trust anything (laughs) J&J. I'll say that. You know, the whole baby powder thing and what they had going on. Like, I'm so glad I'm a Moderna mommy. Well, I always found it a little weird that... um, a, a place that makes baby uh, baby powder and baby oil also went into pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Like, that was just very strange. And like, that's a hard pivot They had for a me. class action lawsuit, if I'm not mistaken, about the baby powder yes, giving people cervical cancer yes, and yes, stuff. Yes, yes, yes. I remember that story and I think my mom, like, switched it immediately because it was like, what, are you kidding me? Yeah. And so, yeah, it's very, very strange. But So, watch out for that if you do have the uh, J&J vaccines. Uh, we'll actually probably do a deeper dive on that a little bit during this week. At some point, we'll get a, um, a doctor on to talk a little bit more more about that and how it's affecting so many people. Yeah. Um, but right now, let's turn over to uh, my girl, Shar. Tell me what's going on in the T-Report. Oh, my goodness. This story, this is a story that just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Drake Bell, you remember Drake Bell. You grew up in the era of the Drake and He's Josh. He's a friend of the show, and I hated him. Really? I, I publicly talked about how much I've hated him. He was awful to me. I was so excited to meet him because I grew up watching him. Yeah. He came in here, sat down with his sunglasses on, and had awful attitude. Wow. He was awful. Now, see, Drake and Josh, I feel like, was I I, I wasn't in the Nickelodeon Disney era oh, by the time me. that aired. That was yeah. literally who I'm, I was. I know. A, and so for me, I was excited to meet him. And I and then it was just like, don't ever meet your idols. I hate when that happens. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, he's being sentenced to two years probation after pleading guilty to criminal charges involving a minor. Um, now, he pled guilty on June 23rd to, uh-oh. Sorry, something just went out. He pled guilty <laughs> on June up, 23rd uh, to attempted endangered children, a fourth degree felony and a misdemeanor charge of disseminating ma- matter of harmful harmful things to juveniles. Now, what I should mention is that Bell's victim who came forward is now 19 years old and they spoke publicly for the first time and uh, released a statement calling Drake the quote, the epitome of evil. She accused Bell of grooming her from the age of 12 before allegedly sexually abusing her at 15. Wow. Two years probation. 
Wow. You know, he actually, I think, just had a baby, too. Yeah. He just had a baby. Wait, he's the one that got married, or, or was it the other one that got married? Who got mad at someone for not inviting someone to the wedding? He he got he got married, and I think it was jo- well, Josh who got mad who at Who got him. mad at him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is terrible. Like, you it's just awful. never know what people are doing. I, mean, I instantly thought of Kyle Massey. Yes. Oh, my God. Girl, we're on the same page. Because yeah. I, was, I was about to say, there's something interesting going on with the, the Disney kids and the Nickelodeon kids. When you're growing up young and you're these childhood stars, yeah. you often hear these, you know, unfortunate stories of how they were treated and even how that still is attached to them to this day. And so... Is it surprising we get treated like crap as adults? Could yeah. you imagine being seven? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on now. No, you're so right. Thank you so much for that tea report. We got more coming up next hour. More what's trending this hour. More tea report. Um, so stick around for that. But right now, we have to get into how Miss Britney Spears and this Britney Free Britney movement may be the key to bring Republicans and Democrats together. The ways that they are getting involved. We're diving in. Don't go anywhere because uh, we got some a reporter from Politico joining us. All right. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, so uh, um, we're back. The Free Britney movement has caught the eye of lawmakers on Capitol Hill. And this may be the one thing that both sides agree on, how to tackle toxic conservatorship. So joining us is Victoria Colliver, California health care policy reporter for Politico. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Okay, seriously, though, let's just jump right into this. Is this something that we're really seeing? Are Republicans and Democrats, like, actually agreeing on we, that this should be handled carefully and fixed immediately? They very much seem to be. I mean, real seriously, when you get someone like Elizabeth Warren and Ted Cruz and others on the same page of something, um, that's kind of remarkable. The question is, uh, how much does the... Do we have how much power does federal law have over this, and and what can they really do? Um, but what they certainly can do is draw attention to this. This has clearly caught the public's eye with Britney Spears. Speaking of Warren and Cruz, I totally agree. Everybody loves Britney, no matter what walk of life you're from. Okay, everybody loves them some Britney Jean. Uh, but I want to ask, what could members of Congress actually do? There are some things they can do. I was, I'm was i based in California. I was really focused on uh, California, what we could do as a state, and, and, and really states do have primary control over their conservatorship laws. But in federal government, there's a lot of things around due process and, and some overarching general guidelines um, that my colleagues in D.C. found out um, that you know, we can do on a federal level. And like I said, the main thing is to draw attention to this issue. I think that um, Britney Spears could do that on her own, but having the attention of Congress, um, you know, having this become like a, a federal talking point is is uh, something that advocates who have been pushing for this for a long time in various places around the country are just uh, cheering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm looking at the pros and cons of this. Like, obviously, getting, like you said, the federal attention on this really can make sure that this Britney's moment specifically is handled even more with care. But I also mm-hmm. want to know kind of what could they possibly gain from this? Like, in the article on um, Politico, you kind of you all kind of spoke on the political allure of uh, of this and why why would, a you know, Democrats and, and Republicans jump on this for their own kind of, I don't know, political gain? 
Yeah, well, it's something that, like I said, it's, it's this egregious thing that um, both sides can agree on and, and look like they're actually working towards a solution together. I think that in itself, the optics of that is something that has been sorely lacking for so long. I'm not saying it's, it is still kind of a fringe issue. It's not one of the make or break things that could happen in Congress. But it, you know, it is something when you see, um, you know, like Britney Spears, she's this woman who's been performing over the years. She has not been, you know, in the public eye for any ne- negative or disturbing reasons. Um, you've seen people like Conway West, and he's out there talking. No one's talking about conserving him yeah. or has talked about that. Yet she's been under this, um, this, these, these very restrictive, I don't think people realize the level of restrictions she's been under for the past 13 years. And I think it just gives a kind of a, a focal point. Um, I write a lot about a lot of health issues, and, and this certainly um, gets people's attention. And, um, you know, like I said, if someone like Britney Spears is, is in the situation where she can't necessarily navigate herself out, um, of, you know, what hope is there for the rest of us? I think that's what people think. Mm. Totally agree. Like in the world of celebrity breakdowns, so to speak, or meltdowns publicly, mm-hmm. Kanye is one of the ones leading the charge. <laughs> and it, we've been waiting <laughs> yeah. for someone to, you know, at least pull him aside, I hope, and have a real I conversation. I have heard, have heard about that, or I mean, maybe it's gone on, but no one seems to be talking about that. But they do for the, a, a young woman, you know, with two small children exactly. at that time. So. Yeah. So how could we see this impact guardianships across the country moving forward? You know, in in researching this, I was actually surprised because, you know, I'm in California and we tend to think of ourselves as pretty progressive and looking out for people's rights. And and I was rather surprised at how outdated and ripe for abuse our laws were here. And certainly it's been something that was addressed like back in 2006 and then got caught up with the, you know, 2008 recession, just it wasn't some of the reforms that were passed weren't funded and things just kind of deteriorated from there. And here we are in 2021. I think this has prompted a lot of states to kind of look at their laws and say, you know, could we have a Brittany type situation? And the the big thing with, she's not a typical conservative person. I mean, here's this, uh, she has a lot of money, a lot, most people in, you know, these, these kind of arrangements don't have the kind of money. Mm-hmm. There's not the same kind of incentive to take advantage of them, but also they lack, they don't have the same amount of resources as someone like her would have. So it, it just kind of cuts across all levels. And I think it's causing people, you know, in different state houses around the country to take a step back. I mean, some, some uh, states have gone further in addressing it than others, and um, others really are starting to see where the, the holes are. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. It's just so interesting what Republicans and Democrats will jump on to um, together mm-hmm. and, and come together on when the world is literally kind well, of like going. Well, like you said, we can all come together on Britney Spears. <laughs> <laughs> that was Victoria Colliver, California health care policy reporter for Politico. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bo. Take care. All right, so next up, honey, we have to have the Washington Post joining us to talk all things Richard Branson and his Virgin Galactic crew and how they went to space. And they're opening up space for everybody. So inclusive. I love that. Oh, God. (laughs) More show coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, Char, I know we all saw Richard Branson and the space stuff happening in the world, right? Yes. <laughs> no, you're laughing. I just wish these people would redistribute their wealth and go about their lives. Well, wait, don't get too much in it because we're going to talk about it. Uh, that's Char Jassel filling in for Shira Lazar, who was out yes. on vacation. Thank you so much for being here. Of course. So the winner of the billionaire space-off was Richard Branson and his Virgin Galactic crew as they safely returned back from space. And during the big press conference, he made an announcement that he and his Virgin Galactic crew are opening up space for everyone. Here's that moment. So uh, the mission statement that I wrote inside my spacesuit was to uh, turn the dream of space travel into a reality for uh, my grandchildren who who are here, for your grandchildren, uh, and for many people who are alive today, for everybody. Um, And having flown to space, I can see even more clearly how Virgin Galactic is the space line for Earth. So just imagine a world where people of all ages, all backgrounds, from anywhere, of any gender, of any ethnicity, have equal access to space. And they will, in turn, I think, inspire us back here on Earth. I mean, I don't know what any of that means, but guess who's going to break it down? <laughs> space industry reporter Christian Davenport for what, uh, from the Washington Post. Thank you so much for being here. Sure, thanks for having me. Okay. Okay, please break down this this moment because there's so many different billionaires trying to get to to space. Richard Branson, did he win the race? Is 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 he like the first white billionaire to make it to space? Is this historic? Well, so actually there have been other white billionaires that have made it to space. Uh in the 2000s, some people were going up on a Russian spacecraft to go to the international space station. Uh, But that was, you know, more of through a government program, what they're doing now, this is private industry uh, taking over. And so just a couple of points of clarification to what Richard was saying. So, you know, when he talks about opening up space for everyone, I mean, that may be true at some point, uh, but the prices are going to have to come down a lot before that happens. Because, you know, before they were selling these tickets to go to space, for about $250,000, then they sort of stop sales and they're going to, sales are going to come back on later this year. And it's expected to be maybe closer to $500,000. So it's not for everyone yet. I mean, it's still for the rich, for very rich people. 
And when we talk about going to space, I mean, he's going just up to the threshold of where space begins. He's not going into orbit. It's not like he's going around and taking laps around the Earth. He's going straight up and then coming straight down. And he's, yes, he's, they were in space uh, yesterday, and there was a weightless environment, and they were floating around the cabin, and they could see the curvature of the Earth and the thin line of the atmosphere and land masses without borders and all of that. But they were in that environment for about four minutes total. Um, I mean, that, that, was, that was it. I mean, still, it's sort of an extraordinary thing to think that, like, a private company and not NASA, not the government was doing is this. doing that, um, yeah. But that's what we're talking about. You know, when you mentioned that um, when he said uh, everyone will have access to space, but you mentioned that it's only for the rich, I think that's who he meant. I don't think he <laughs> meant the rest of us. I, I think that his blinders... <laughs> have him with people in his same economic well, for, wheelhouse. For me, it was, I heard, well, so I got to go to space to have equal rights? Basically. <laughs> and how arrogant, right, to think that we can open up space to everyone. But I have to ask you, this is just a, a more so of a personal question. I have to ask you, what, in your opinion, do you think is like the race for these billionaires? Like, what's motivating them? Because the last time I really heard about a celebrity or someone worth noting wanting to go to space was like Lance Bass from NSYNC. So why is there all of a sudden this interest from these billionaires to get off planet Earth temporarily? Right. So, I mean, you know, I I do think that, um, so right now there have only been 570 people in, you know, the history of the world who have ever been to space. And if you talk to an astronaut, someone who's been to space, and they talk about the transformative effect of it and, and seeing, you know, Earth and seeing how beautiful it is. And, and that image taken during the Apollo era of the Earth from the moon and the Earth just lit up and blue and all colorful, you know, hanging there in the inky darkness of space. And that pale blue dot, I mean, that image is one of the most viewed images in, in you know, the history of photography. And it helped touch out off the environmental movement. And so I think that um, just in terms of the suborbital space tourism, what we're talking about is that if that number then grows to from 570 people to 5,000, 10,000, you know, and people who have had that, then, you know, at least the hope is, and I know this sort of sounds, you know, a little hokey, but that, you know, people will take care of the earth better and that they'll treat each other better, that we're all stuck on this planet Together, And then there are all sorts of other things, you know, that Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos want to do deeper in space. Um, you know, but I do think they have some, you know, good intentions with doing it. That said, they're also businessmen, right? They're billionaires and they see it as a good um, business opportunity. Yeah, now it's for the rich. But I do think Richard, you know, is hopeful that they're building a fleet of these vehicles. Mm -hmm. If they can start flying them regularly and they do it safely, and let's not forget, I mean, this is dangerous. Very, very, very dangerous. But then I do think he's at least hoping the cost will begin to come down over time. I mean, the early days of commercial aviation was really expensive too, and they're hoping that at some point it'll come down. I'm hoping it's, you know, it gets to a place where, you know, people can just do after pay and go out. To no, come on. We can't even do that no. with domestic flights, Ryan. No, but here's the thing. <laughs> I, I think what's really interesting is uh, to see how this kind of new industry is playing out, especially in how, how do you think it's going to affect 
it, or do you even think it will affect the work that NASA's doing? Especially if, you know, these companies start to, and these billionaires start to actually find things or start to have their own research processes. Like, could that possibly affect what NASA's doing on a, on a you know, global scale? Oh, it's already affecting what NASA is doing. I mean, I think NASA traditionally, you know, 10, 20 years ago was sort of reluctant uh, when, you know, these private companies were coming along. But now, you know, a company like SpaceX, it delivers cargo and supplies and science experiments to the International Space Station for NASA. Like NASA pays them like for a taxi service, a, a delivery service to the space station. Also, uh, you know, people don't realize that NASA did not have the ability to fly astronauts for almost a decade. The space shuttle went away in 2011, and NASA was paying Russia to fly American astronauts to the space station. And then along comes Elon Musk and SpaceX. They have the contract, and guess what? They now fly NASA's astronauts to the space station. So NASA's like you know, grateful that there's this growing commercial space industry and they're able to leverage that and partner with them so that they can do more. Um, you know, we, wow. were at the moon, we were at the moon in 1969 and the last time we were there was 1972 and we haven't been back. Wow. And NASA's trying to go back now, but they want to do it with these public-private partnerships. Christian, thank you so much for joining us. This has been the coolest, interesting conversation ever. Sure, my pleasure. All right, that was space industry reporter Christian Davenport for the Washington Post. Honestly, he's our new space guy. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Okay, sorry, we got more to talk about. Um, specifically, find out what Pride organization just shut down after being called out for their lack of inclusion and diversity. Hmm. Yep, we're going to talk about it. Um, uh, that's coming up. In- Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, so after more than 50 years in operation, Boston Pride has abruptly shut down after calls from activists saying that Boston Pride continuously failed to represent or include trans people of color and just people of color. This all happened after the trans-resistant Massachusetts March that was organized separately with no involvement of Boston Pride. Um... Boston Pride is one of the oldest Pride organizations in operations, and they decided that the Boston community, in a statement saying needs and wants change without the involvement of Boston Pride, and they, quote, care too much to stand in the way. Yeah, so we're seeing this weird, interest, this interesting time where we're seeing organizations being called out um, for Pride. And honestly, it, it's, it's really interesting how this is navigated. What do you think about this, Shar and Boston Pride kind of shutting down in the way that they done because it was abrupt. Like the way they let go of people also pissed everyone off. It was it was just so unnecessary. And for me, the the statement that they're saying is like, you know, they they think that needs and change needs to be without them. It's it's like they're removing themselves, but also kind of a not even holding themselves accountable. Well, I just would want to know what the primary resistance is. What is the resistance of including and representing people of color and trans people. Why is there such a resistance to that for starters? And then, you know, that is one of the primary reasons that, you know, last year, you know, a year ago, I said the true test of everything will be on the other side of everything, meaning on the other side of the election when we saw exit poll results and also what things would look like this year. And it seemed like uh, a lot of last year was just masterpiece theater because in a lot of different prides and a lot of different organizations that represent queer and trans people, there has not been been a lot of 
uh, strides taking place to be diverse and to yeah. be inclusive. Everything seems like, you know, uh, a checklist, so to speak. And so this is unsurprising also that it is Boston. I mean, I've never <laughs> been to Boston. I say but that all the time. Boston is known to be so known, racist. Literally known. I think about Mark Wahlberg and his alleged assaults. Remember, he uh, uh, attacked a Vietnamese oh, man, man, I believe. I also just think about Ellen Pompeo every time she talks, because that's where she's from. She yeah, talks about she talks racism. about it. Like, I've never been there. And I also have a friend, ironically named Ryan. Uh, he and his boyfriend live now in Boston, and they are... They tell me stories. They are a biracial couple, and it is just very interesting. So, wow. um, yeah, this is unsurprising. The city that is that is Boston is unsurprising, but also I would like to know what is the resistance. I think I, yeah. I think I could guess, but I don't know if I want to guess. I'd want to know straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Why are we so resistant to being inclusive? Are we forgetting that? It was literally trans women of color responsible for kicking off the LGBTQ rights movement. Yeah, we have to, you know, as these organizations continue to get called out, they, I want them to because you can't just continue to throw pride parades and and have an organization that is specifically fundraising and getting all this money to throw on these pride celebrations and then forget the people who were a part of even literally. creating and starting this this entire movement. Literally, Angelica Ross said it best a few weeks ago. It was It's hard uh, sometimes because the optics. You see the Pride Parade going by and all the uns uns and shirtless, muscle-bound white men. And then there <laughs> there might be a black trans woman in the alleyway begging for, you know, a dollar so she could get a quarter pounder. Yeah. So who is Pride really for? And what does it encompass? Very true. Keep the conversation going at LGT Show because... It's important. Is your pride, is your city, you know, are they getting called out? We want to know because it's happening across the, the country and it's very, very important. But we got more show coming up next. Don't go anywhere because uh, find out what Vice President Kamala Harris had to tell Texas Democrats. That's coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The show must continue. We are in, oh God, I almost tried to do math and then I would have to do it for East East Coast things because I'm like, it's 3 p.m. here in Los Angeles. It's 6 there. And 6 wherever else you are, right? 6 in the East, which means it's 5 Central, you I know, believe. Wow, see, math, fast math was never my thing. Imagine me being a server having to slick, like, bring out my calculator on my phone to just Were like, you a server? I was a server for a very long time and I could never do that fast math, you know? Yeah, there, it, it was I want to last it either. <laughs> well, Sharjah Sil um, is here filling in for Shira Lazar, who is, you know, living it up in Hawaii. I'm quite jealous she didn't invite me, but it's fine. She has to spend time with her significant other. It's cute. Well, let's get into the show. We got what's trending this hour. We are talking about a lot of things coming up in this hour. Why are parents so obsessed with gender? And of course, it's non-binary awareness week, if you didn't know. We're diving in all of that this next hour coming up. But right now, let's talk Vice President Kamala Harris. On today, she voiced support for Texas Democrats' plan to reportedly flee the state. Lawmakers reportedly plan to leave the state to block GOP bills by preventing the needed legislative quorum. Harris said the lawmakers should uh, showed extraordinary courage and commitment. Here's a little bit more of what she had to say. I do want to first start by uh, making a statement about the, the legislators in Texas who are showing extraordinary courage and commitment. I met with them when many of them traveled to Washington, D.C. We sat down and had an extensive conversation in the Roosevelt Room in the White House. And I applaud them standing for the rights of all Americans. I do believe 
that fighting for the right to vote is as American as apple pie. <laughs> I wouldn't get apple pie become an American thing. Well, you know, they always use apple pie, hot dogs. They, they use classic American uh, culinary staples when they <laughs> compare. Anyway, I guess we're moving on from that. Uh, the U.S. recorded more than 20,000 new COVID-19 cases each of the past um, four days as the Delta variant spreads. The trend comes as the, mo- uh, the more transmissible Delta variant spreads across the U.S. and is expected to become the most dominant strain. The last time the U.S. had 20,000 cases a day for several days in a row was back in May. So, yeah, be on the lookout for all of that because cases are still happening and people's lives are still in order. Um, But uh, moving out of the COVID-19 era, do we want to do a little bit of the tea report? Just a little tease. Well, you know, we all know what happened with Olivia Jade Giannulli and we know her parents, Lori Loughlin and... The yes. Ma- Massimo guy, yeah, right? The Massimo, both- the target guy. Yeah, His target they did jail time. We all know about the college admissions, but basically, you know, um, HBO Max has rebooted Gossip Girl, Love and it. there was a—I haven't watched it yet. Solid, yeah. But I'm there's sorry. a line in an episode that says, "You, as someone who lo- who loses, is bad for business. I didn't lose anything." And everything will be fine so long as you win. Olivia Jade, Jade gained followers when her mom went to jail. Okay, Olivia Jade caught wind of this. We know that she lost brand partnership deal with Sephora and everything. And she went to her TikTok and she had this to say. No, I didn't. (laughs) That's all she said. So she reacted to it. I mean, anything to stay relevant, you know? She comes clearly from a shameless, ruthless family that'll do anything, so... I mean, and also she's still a kid, but I, you know, I don't give passes to she things like that. She's not a kid. She's a grown woman. I mean, she's a grown. What? When I say kid, oh my god, I just realized I sound like I'm on Fox News. When I say kid, I mean that she is a young girl in the same way that we were just talking about Chica, and she's 24. I yeah. would also refer to her as a kid, but you know what? I'm Team Gammy. Remember the Red Table Talk? <laughs> you are grown, young lady. But yeah, so that that's oh the quick tea report. Uh, and yeah, Gossip Girl is streaming on HBO Max. Well, coming up, <laughs> thank you so much for that tea report. We got more What's Trending this hour and top uh, tea report coming up next hour. But moving on further in the show, we have one question for you. Why are American parents so obsessed with gender? Box.com is joining us to break it all down. Don't y'all go anywhere. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. As gender reveal parties are steadily increasing over the past decade, we want to examine the reasons why American parents are so obsessed with gender and how the ultrasound changed everything. Joining us for this conversation is Amanda Monti, a writer and educator who explores issues of care and consent in a gender capitalist system from an intersectional feminist perspective. Thank you so much for joining us, Amanda. Yeah, thank you for having me. Okay, Amanda, this story you wrote, one about your personal experience and how you're kind of re-examining gender, um, was just so powerful on Vox.com. I would tell everyone to please go read it because I was obsessed with it. So great job. 
Oh, thank you. So let's just jump right into this because I, I really want to know what do you think about kind of like everything that you found during this research on this on this topic? Because it does seem like we've seen gender reveals happen, especially the ones that end up in a fiery mess. Burning 50 percent of California down. We've seen that hit the headlines in ways that just honestly feel so dated and annoying at this point, especially when you're looking at gender. Um, what what was kind of really shocking for you that popped up during this process and research? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I wanted to explore something sort of beyond the party and just kind of this more mainstream, um, you know, way in which we're entrenched in the gender binary and this kind of strange rite of passage that pregnant people go through questioning, you know, do I or don't I find out, um, you know, the quote unquote gender of my child and, and sort of what does that tell us? Um, about where we are on a more mainstream level. Because I think we see these crazy parties, right? And we think, okay, maybe these are like gender binary extremists, right? (laughs) But there is still this like tradition that's much more normalized um, of, you know, going to this routine ultrasound appointment and um, gathering this this information. And I really wanted to understand what is it that parents are, are looking for? Um, yeah. when, when they don't fall into that category of throwing these, you know, damaging, violent parties. Yeah, I was just sharing with Ryan. I have an associate who's pregnant um, right now, and she and her husband, like, they have, like, a, a, a non-gendered name that they've picked out, and they're keeping everything, like, yellow and green, no blue and pink. And I also, right. like, what's, what's so strange is I don't see gender reveal parties going anywhere anytime soon, unfortunately. <laughs> I've, been, I've right. attended my fair share of baby showers, never been invited to a gender reveal party, but I feel like it's a way to, like, double the <laughs> gifts, double the baby <laughs> gifts, because, you know, you, you can't show up empty-handed. But how did this fascination start? I know that we kind of talked about the ultrasound earlier. How did the fascination start with uh, finding out what gender your baby is in this country? Yeah, well, I mean, in America in particular, you know, the fascination at the level that we see today with these intense parties, it really does all go back to the ultrasound. So obviously in in a lot of different cultures, we see like wives' tales and traditions, you know, ritualization around gender, speculating the gender of the baby. But that's all pretty complicated because every culture kind of has their own beliefs about gender. Mm -hmm. And those beliefs evolve, and we see they're continuing to evolve. But in America in particular, though we've always been a particular, particularly patriarchal society invested in the binary, the obsession with gender um, in pregnancy really took off when the ultrasound took off and, and as capitalism took off, and the two kind of got together. I'd also venture um, to oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, it's really interesting things that I found in my research around just maternal bonding, you know, or the bonding between the pregnant person and the child um, and the way in which that shifted in the eighties, you know, with the advent of the ultrasound. Um, And I, and I write about this in the piece, you know, how that has fed into sort of conservative discourse, um, anti-abortion discourse. Um, But there was a big shift, you know, then um, especially with the pink and the blue and the, market segmentation, um, all of that really started to take off um, around that time. 
Yeah, and I think it's just really interesting because I, I wonder, especially as we're having more conversations and more nuanced conversations when we're talking about the binary and people existing outside of that, do you think we're mm-hmm. we're going to ever live in a gender-neutral world? Do you think we'll ever achieve that as we're having more of these, you know, nuanced conversations? Gosh, I mean, it's it's such a hard question to answer. I mean, obviously, there's still a lot of people in America who are, you know, who benefit from the binary system um, and who have privilege and power as a result and who are still, you know, partying and and blowing things up um, (laughs) as a way of affirming it. But, you know, a lot of what I found, like I spoke with um, Lillian Rivera at the at Gender Spectrum and, you know, she pointed me towards a lot of really great um, stuff online, you know, young folks who are who are really just, you know, throwing the binary out the window. And I think that that really is the future and the kind of the culture that we should keep our eye on rather than this other incredibly, like you said, dated um, and irrelevant, you know, stuff that we see happening sometimes in parenting culture. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean. I, I hope so, you yeah. know, and certainly an alternative discourse outside of this um, intense uh, gender binary is there, you know. Mm. What? Oh, I was just going to quickly say, I'd venture to say that it's also rooted outside of the gender binary in that it's also rooted in cis heteronormativity. As you know, they find out that they're having a boy, for example, and I'm mm-hmm. using air quotes, they instantly have their entire lives planned out yeah. for them until that little boy might say that they are queer or trans so to speak. Now it's an issue. Right. Exactly. Well, well, Amanda, I just want to say thank you so much for uh, writing and joining us um, about this incredible piece because I think it's really interesting how we should all be really trying to find why are we looking at gender this way and how do we look at it moving forward. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And as we, of course, continue to try to move away from the binary, we're celebrating Non-Binary Awareness Week and what the community really needs moving forward. That's coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, if you didn't know, it's Non-Binary Awareness Week, and I think it's important for us to discuss what awareness really looks like moving forward in terms of representation and the needs of the non-binary community. Sharjah Jassel is here filling in for Sheer Lazar. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And joining us for this conversation is journalist and podcaster of the Fantai Podcast and EW Entertainment Weekly's limited series podcast, Untold Stories. Travel Anderson, Thank you so much for being on Let's Go There. Thank y'all for having me back. Hope you both are well. Oh, of course. And we have birthdays coming up. You know, shout out to the little Leos in the world. (laughs) Yes, Leo season is here. Oh, God. Where do I run and hide for 30 days? No, but Travel, I'm I'm, I'm really happy that we have you because I know you've been doing your own work, especially with EW's limited series podcast, Untold Stories, and you've been exploring more non-binary storytelling. But what does this week specifically mean to to you when we're talking about awareness yeah i mean i think this week is is i feel similar to it the same ways i feel about trans day of visibility and trans awareness week and like all these other weeks right it's a great opportunity for folks to do greater education and, and to raise awareness about growing segments of our community but ultimately we need people to go beyond just this day 
right? We need folks to to figure out ways to support and advocate on behalf of non-binary people um, in kind of their everyday work. When you go to when you go to your workplace, when you go to school, all those other things. And so this this week, this day in particular, you know. I could take it or leave it. You know, I'm really interested <laughs> in policy changes. You know, I'm interested in, you know, the ways in which we can affirm everybody. Yeah, I'm someone I was just sharing with Ryan when we first came in studio. I still have a lot of questions around non-binary representation. Like, and even as mm-hmm. someone who's like under the trans umbrella myself, I'm like, hmm, and maybe we can talk off air. But uh, <laughs> I, think we should, I think we should have the conversation. <laughs> Because I, I do think there is such Let's do it. so here's okay so here is my question Tra- Travell maybe you can answer for the me this or maybe you can't so non-binary means to from what I've learned to exist outside of the binaries right mm-hmm. okay so then what kind of throws me off is when someone would identify as like a non-binary man or a non-binary mm-hmm. woman because those are very mm-hmm. binary identities. So how is Mm -hmm. one a non-binary man or a non-binary woman? Break it down. So this is this is a great question. Um, And so I'll start by quoting from a study that was done last month by the Williams Institute, which is out of UCLA. And they did a study that um, showed that one point two million people, adults, excuse me, in the United States identify as non-binary. In their study, they detail that non-binary, it can be used and interpreted in a variety of different ways, in the same ways that, you know, various gender identities mean Mm -hmm. different things for different folks. So you do have some non-binary people who do do not identify as members of the trans community. Those Mm -hmm. are the folks who you will hear say non-binary man, non-binary woman. For those folks, non-binary is like a gender presentation. It's about how they show up and move through the world. And then you have other people like myself who non-binary is my gender identity, right? And Mm -hmm. so you won't hear me say that I'm a non-binary man or a non-binary woman. You just hear me say I'm a non-binary bad you-know-what, okay? I know Uh, that's right. Right, (laughs) Right. you better say that. (laughs) And so it's one of those things where, like, you know, identity can be super, it it is super complex and complicated, and it means different things for different folks. Yeah. Um, But I think, you know, we're trying to get to a world where, you know, the language that you use for yourself is the language that you use for yourself. I know that's right. And folks are constantly educating themselves. Thank you for that. Well, and I think that's really interesting, and I kind of want to keep you around so we can keep this conversation Mm -hmm. going, because I want to know how we should be redefining that word awareness and especially because it feels like it's so it can be very complicated and and what that means for everyone so let's uh stick around with you travail anderson we got more show coming up uh in a second cool let's go there with shira and ryan channel q Okay, so we are back celebrating Non-Binary Awareness Week with the one and only Travel Anderson. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I think a lot of the conversations that even Shar and I have offline, um, it, it's really interesting when you're talking about just non-binary existing in certain groups and often wondering, I've, I've always seen non-binary people kind of get uh joined in with the trans community and oftentimes Mm -hmm. and i I wonder if there's any conflict of that because those experiences can be different and some trans people could feel like well that isn't my experience and it should it be a part of this community and and what does that look like should non-binary people should be in their own space or have their own letter a part of the whole lgbtq plus you know so Mm -hmm. what what does Mm -hmm. that really look like in terms of those kind of complicated and nuanced conversations 
Well, I think the way you said it is 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 an accurate read of the situation. There there are some trans people who do not feel like non-binary people um, are part of the trans community, and a lot of times that's wrapped up in what I say is like internalized like bioessentialism. Um, folks who feel like our identities as non-binary people somehow invalidates their womanhood or their manhood. Um, and so there, there, there sometimes is just a, a pushing back there with some folks. Ultimately, though, anybody who does not identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth, right, uh, then you, you fall, in my read, you fall under the trans umbrella. And whether or not you choose to use the term trans for yourself, you can self-select. You can do that on your own. Um, but I do think that there, you know, community, intercommunity, intercommunity. I can't remember which one I'm supposed to say. But like <laughs> conversations within the community are always going to be, you know, murky because identity is so complex and complicated, yeah. and because it's deeply personal. Um, I think it's important for everyone just to remain open and to realize that one person's assertion of their identity does not have to invalidate the other person. Mm, that's what I call kitchen table talk, okay? <laughs> you know, some some stuff we don't need an audience for. Some stuff we just come around amen, the kitchen amen. table that's it, that's and it. hash it on out. That's it. Um, so tell us a little bit more about your uh, EW Limited Series podcast, Untold Stories. Yes. So I pitched this idea. Um, I hosted this limited series podcast for them called Untold Stories Pride Edition last year. And each episode focused on a different like segment of the community and their um, visibility. For this season, I pitched them my idea to do an entire season, four episodes, all about non-binary visibility. We are in this moment in which there are more people identifying as non-binary than ever before, non-binary, genderqueer, et cetera. Um, Demi Lovato just came out, you know, a few, what, months ago at this point as non-binary. Sam Smith came out as non-binary a couple years ago. Listen, so many people are coming out as non-binary, and we're seeing more and more non-binary folks on TV and on screen. And so each episode of the podcast, I only interview non-binary people about how we feel about this moment, our questions, what we're looking for, the future we would like to see realized. Um, And it's a really great opportunity just to hear non-binary people in conversation with other non-binary people. Was there anything that you kind of learned about your yourself through these conversations that you were like, wow, I'm kind of still figuring out my own journey? I mean, I think, I think the beauty of it is that for me as a non-binary person, my gender journey is something that I'm constantly working mm-hmm. on. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a trail that I'm constantly walking. And I think the one thing that stuck out to me from all of the different interviews that I did, you know, we had Demi Lovato on the podcast. We had Rebecca Sugar and Noel Stevenson and Alok and Jacob Tobiah and a variety of other folks is that we all are just trying to live our best lives ultimately, yeah. right? We're trying to actualize what freedom looks like to us in hopes that it liberates somebody else, right? Somebody will see us walking down the street doing what we do, and then they will feel liberated. They will be, feel like they have permission to, to, you know, color outside the lines, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's the thing that stuck out for me the most, is that we're all just trying to, to free folks. All right, super quickly, we have about 10 seconds left. Tell everyone where they can go listen and find out more about the podcast. Yes, Untold Stories Beyond the Binary, available wherever you get Slayworthy audio and on Entertainment Weekly's website and YouTube page. 
That is Travel Anderson, journalist and podcaster and all-around icon, legendary person. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> Thank y'all so much. Thanks, Thank Travel. All right. Up next, we got more show. What's trending this hour in the T-Report. Don't go anywhere. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back with more show. I've actually really enjoyed today's show, huh? Yeah, it's been good. Smooth sailing. That conversation with Travail Anderson talking all about non-binary awareness week was absolutely fabulous. If you're just now joining us, head over to the Odyssey uh, podcast, well, Odyssey app, and you can find Let's Go There with Sharon Ryan on there, and you'll be able to check out all of our conversations after the show. And uh, speaking of more conversations, we have a lot more that we are covering, which is, you know, interesting. Interesting because Shira would love this if we were here, if she was here. But uh, mindful medita- uh, mindfulness meditation, obviously, um, well, not obviously, but it can make some Americans more selfish and less generous. Really, it's really interesting. And so there's, we're gonna, you know, dive into the reasons why, and that's going to be coming up a little bit later in the show. Sharjasil is here filling in for Shira Lazar. Thank you so much again for being of here. Of course. You ready to get into what's trending this hour? I am. Okay. So we talked about Richard Branson in the whole space moment earlier in the show at the top. Well, guess who took uh, credit for everything? Uh, Trump did. Trump took credit for the space race between the billionaires Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos on Fox News. He claimed that he was also responsible for leasing them the facilities they needed for their launches. Um, Listen to this 40-second rant that um, he literally (laughs) said on Fox News today. And I made it possible for them to do this. I actually said to my people, let private, let the private sector do it. These guys want to come in with billions of dollars. Let's lease them facilities because, you know, you need certain facilities to send up rockets. And we have those facilities. We have the greatest. And I reopened them because they were, as I told you, they were dead. They were closed or essentially closed for the most part. So I said, hey, look, if Elon wants to send up a rocket, let him do it. We'll get, charge him some rent. Let him do it. Let these guys do it. And we're seeing advancement now that I don't believe we would have ever seen had we done it the way, the old-fashioned way. <laughs> he also claimed that he reopened NASA, even though the agency never closed. Like, why isn't everyone <laughs> tired? You know that's my favorite question. Why isn't everyone tired? Oh, my God. It's absolutely absolutely hilarious at this point that he's still getting airtime and he's still you know has being, a loyal following yeah and still being the narcissist we all know him as yeah be like I did everything I just saw one of his followers on online in a video who believes that JFK Jr. is still alive and he will be running on the Trump ticket uh, for, like literally she had a Trump Kennedy shirt on and was being you know what I can't. it's terrifying it's laughable but it is honestly very very scary I can't wait to uh, see that happen <laughs> <laughs> okay moving forward this story is insane a lightning strike killed 11 people at a tourist uh, tower in India as some were just taking selfies um, according to a local police they said as it started raining visitors, uh, visitors took cover at a watchtower near the fort Lightning strikes the watchtower, killing about 11 people on the spot and injuring others. Uh, They said some of the victims literally were just taking selfies uh, near the watchtower at the time. The tower's walls collapsed. Oh, my goodness. And uh, they went on to say many people were buried underneath it. Since the fort is on a hill and when the debris was falling and space reduced, some people also fell into the ditch. No. Um, 
Most of the people who died were local tourists, and uh, the officer also added that children were among the victims. That is a terrible story. It's a terrible and story. And what a freak accident. I know. Light, I, here's the thing. I've heard stories about lightning striking people and people surviving, or, yeah. but it's, it feels like it's so rare and so like it comes yeah. out of a movie. This is insane that this is happening. Yeah, it's crazy. And like- lightning comes from the ground, right? No, the sky. Well, I know it comes from the sky, but I'm saying how it's charged up. Oh, see, I don't know. I don't know nothing about that. I, I believe I watched a documentary. Maybe Bill Nye said something about it. I don't, I'm not sure, but that's why. Make sure y'all got on y'all rubber shoes <laughs> when it's raining. I think rubber helps you, doesn't it? Like if the rubber's, rubber meets the road, so to speak, you're okay. I just feel like no matter what, there's some way of blaming climate change for this. There's oh, just yeah. some way. Some way at all. And but... the fact that they were seeking shelter from the rain just yeah. as tourists and yeah. like, whew. Well, we're sending so much love to the families and the and the victims of everything, and it's just really sad. But moving on, let's get into the entertainment world. What's happening in the Tea Report? Well, Abarella O'Day, as her fans know her as, or her <laughs> name like, is Aubrey O'Day. Who's that? Uh, from Danity Kane. <laughs> but you know she goes by AKA. She has all these AKAs. Well, anyway, <laughs> she's currently starring on BET Presents The Encore, which airs on Wednesday nights on BET. And she just announced on Instagram that she is headed, quote, out of this world. Now, this happened on Saturday, and the 37-year-old singer shared a lengthy post, which said it, which is said to be out of the norm. At the beginning of her latest adventure, as she leaves the country to start a new chapter. Now, listen, no one knows where Aubrey is going, okay? Which is a little strange. No one knows how long she'll be gone. You know she dated Donald Trump Jr. I wonder if she's trying to get away from him. Well, she talks too much, and you know they, there's mean, probably they're probably suing left and right. Let's call Kathy Griffin for the next segment. Right, seriously, Chicago legend. Yeah. Anywho, um, no one knows how long uh, Aubrey's going to be gone, but she did hint that she was in um, Dubai. But she also went on to share that before even you know joining MTV's making the band and beginning singing, that she wanted to travel the world. She had done a few. Yeah. Um, you know, like studying abroad. She wanted to be a part of the Peace Corps. And I think she's just over the United States, which... I get, which I understand. Same sis, if I could get out of here too, I probably would. I would love to just go take Where a year would you travel. Go? Honestly, I would I would go to the, probably like the UK first, because mm-hmm. I've always wanted to. And then I would just do a whole kind of like tour yeah. around that, that side of the whole entire globe. I have a friend, uh, one of their co-workers, who is someone's daughter, I'll tell you off air, but she comes from privilege and she did that. But she oh. was able to do, like she quit her job yeah. and spent a year traveling the world, but she was able to do that because of who her daddy is. Wow, I need a dad. Uh, but Aubrey went on to say <laughs> that she's been so anxious, scared, emotionally raw, uh, and she has no idea what's coming up next. But I did like, she ended the quote, uh, I mean, she ended the post by saying, just jump and the net will appear. Yeah, whatever. Um. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I fund it. I believe that is yeah. how you have to take risks. That's true, but also but as she a can Capricorn, as a Capricorn, I take responsible risks. She can afford it. Find out more about that story and read her entire statement at wearechannelq.com. Thank you so much, Shar, for care, uh, you know talking all things T Report. Of course, risks are necessary. You remember that. Now, moving forward, we got to talk about mindfulness yeah. meditation um, because apparently it's making some Americans more selfish and less generous, which is, I mean, Oprah preaches everything against that. Let's be honest. Super Soul Sunday, that would never be that conversation. What? Americans being selfish? No. <laughs> We're diving into the reasons why up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. 
Now, Shar, a range of studies have found mindfulness to be beneficial for the people who practice it in a number of ways. But what are some of the downfalls and things we aren't looking at? And I've always been kind of critical of wellness spaces because I feel like there's a lack of inclusion. There's most definitely a lack of diversity. And there's just sometimes this toxic positivity that's attached they to it. They can be cult-like sometimes. Yeah, it doesn't feel realistic. Yeah. And so we're going to look at that. And joining us is Michael J. Poulin, an associate professor of psychology at the University of Buffalo. Thank you so much for joining the show, and I hope I said your last name right. (laughs) You sure did. Thank you. (laughs) Awesome. Now, I thought what was really interesting in your article that you feel like out of all the studies on mindfulness meditation, that there are some things that we might not be looking at as of how the practice is affecting others. Can you elaborate a little bit more of uh, on that and, and why it was so important for you to write your article on this? Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things about mindfulness is that um, the way it was originally developed, it developed in a particular context and in a particular place. And, you know, in a Buddhist context and in the culture that it developed in, it's not just a practice to, you know, help the self. It's a practice to help uh, promote helping behavior and pro-social behavior and to really benefit the community. And yet when we practice it in the West and in a a lot of training programs in the West, a lot of that has been sort of stripped away and mindfulness is practiced, you know, kind of with an eye towards self-improvement or, you know, there's actually a recent uh, ad by a company that promotes mindfulness where one of the people says, I practice mindfulness to crush it, (laughs) right? Which is the sort of idea that mindfulness is all about, you know, being powerful and maybe even dominating others. And so we wanted to do some research to look at, you know, is it possible that sometimes in an American context, mindfulness can actually make people, you know, more selfish to focus on themselves rather than to focus on others? Yeah, that's so interesting. I find in what uh, in the article that you wrote about uh, Namaste being just mm-hmm. a simple greeting of hello and how it's been appropriated and hijacked <laughs> and looked yeah. at looked at as like this spiritual word in the US and I thought to myself I never thought to interrogate where namaste comes from I just kind of went with the flow <laughs> I guess that's part of the problem with groupthink um but can you break down for us you just touched on mindful meditation but um break down for us mic mindfulness <laughs> <laughs> So that's not a con. It's not a word I con- I coined. That's actually from a book of the same title. Um, but it's it's this idea that you can take an idea like mindfulness that has a lot of different dimensions to it, and you can boil it down to this kind of you know uh, drive for self improvement that characterizes so much of Western society, and not and not just self improvement, but can we make people more productive? Can we make people more you know effective and you know, to take, you know, a person's whole existence and boil it down to productivity or effectiveness is mm. missing an awful lot about what it is to be human and to yeah. be in community. No, you're so right. And I really want to break down uh, how you you did this. How did you test the social effects? What was your study like? And, and tell us about the results. Sure. So we did a couple of them. Um, and, but, but what they had in common is that we... We, went, we wanted to measure and or affect how people thought about themselves uh, in, in different societies. So like in the, in the societies where mindfulness uh, was developed, 
people tend to think about themselves in what we call interdependent terms or to make it, you know, a little less, you know, wonky, we terms. It's when you think about yourself, you automatically think about your relationships and the communities you belong to. Um, Whereas in the West, most people tend to think about themselves in independent terms or I terms. You know, I think about myself in terms of me and what's true about me and maybe even how I'm different from other people. And so we, in a couple of studies, we measured that. And in one of the studies we did, we actually um, did an exercise to make people think about themselves in more we versus I ways. And what we found is that people who think about themselves in I ways, when they engage in a brief mindfulness exercise, afterwards, they were less likely to either give money to a charity or to volunteer to help on behalf of a charitable cause. By contrast, people who thought about themselves in we ways, um, mindfulness actually did the opposite. It did did what you might think mindfulness is supposed to do. Uh, You know, if you think about yourself in we terms, after you engage in mindfulness, you're more likely to volunteer or you're more likely to donate to, to an organization. This is so, like, fascinating to me because as you're speaking, I'm thinking about, like, how we're socialized as Americans with this like American exceptionalism. I'm thinking about how our nation has been branded like this Judeo Christian nation and people we're supposed to approach things as community, but I think capitalism is kind of like interfered where we're all I type people. It's all about self. Right. Instead of, I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling, but you, you some of the points that you made, I'm sitting up here, my wheels are getting to spinning. I, now I want to write something. <laughs> no, I think this is really interesting, and we want to keep the conversation going because I, I just want to know how this could really, a study like this could really emphasize other biases in the wellness yeah. community. So um, stick around. Don't go anywhere. We got more conversation coming up next, okay? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, so we're back with an incredible discussion on just how, you know, mindfulness meditation might not be all up that it's cracked up to be, right? Um, And joining us right now back again is Michael J. Poulin, an associate professor of psychology at the University of Buffalo. And, you know, Michael, we were discussing everything that, you know, there's so many flaws that pop up out of this. And I just wonder, how could this really um, open up and really emphasize other biases that the wellness community kind of face? Well, that's a really interesting question. Um, you know, our, our study or our studies really look just at this concept of mindfulness meditation. But I think that this general idea that it matters whether you think about yourself as part of a community or not is really important. Right. And, and, and if you, if you think about yourself and your wellness practices just for you, right? Just for one person. I think that has very different implications than if you think about, well, this is, yeah, it's for me, but it's for me in context, you know, me in my community, me and my relationships. Um, And I think that probably applies to a lot of things, not just mindfulness meditation, but maybe yoga, maybe all all those sort of things we call self-care, right? Yeah. And I, I guess for me, when I'm thinking of that and, and, and really when I'm talking about how it could highlight other other biases is for me, I, I hold the wellness community um, 
to to moments where I, I've seen a lot of the the lack of inclusion, a lot the lack of diversity, and a lack of even acknowledging other people's existence in those spaces, and it kind of is wrapped in this toxic positivity mind frame of everything mm. will be fine, everything instead is okay. of addressing, of, yeah, instead of things. head on addressing yeah. the elephant in the room. And so for me, I'm like, well, if people are finding out that it's actually making them a little bit more selfish and a little bit more or less generous. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? That's going to pop up in different ways in their lives. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that it's, it, you know, it, it's, if, a, if a practice, like I, I don't want to harp too much on mindfulness, though that is what we look at. Right. If engaging in mindfulness makes you just feel so much better, like I feel less stressed, then maybe I don't feel motivated to care about, you know, what, what people who are, you know, suffering right now might be experiencing what people who are, you know, telling me their stories about being left out or being marginalized might be feeling. Yeah, um, that's true. That's very true. So I guess, what do you think we should be taking away from, from a yeah. conversation like this? Your, your research, the article, what do you want people to really be uh, gaining from this? Well, here's what I think is the good news about our research and, and about this, um, this topic more generally is, is that one of the things we found is that, yeah, there are individual differences and even there are cultural differences in whether we think about ourselves as I or we. But the truth is, everybody thinks of, these, of themselves in both of these ways sometimes, right? We think about ourselves in terms of I sometimes. We think about ourselves as part of a we sometimes. And we can even very easily in the lab affect which of these kind of mindsets people have. So I think that for practitioners and teachers of various kind of wellness practices, it it would not be hard to build in as part of that a practice that says, okay, we're going to do this, but we're going to think about it in terms of not just you as an individual, Mm -hmm. but you as someone who's situated in a context and maybe even in a context that's broader than you already realize. Yeah, but things are going to continue to always be kind of co-opted <laughs> appropriately. Namaste. Yeah, especially in this country. <laughs> so how how is that going to not like happen, especially when it's kind of like our country is known gatekeep. for colonizing things? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So th- I think that's the real conversation that we're having here. I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us in, in such a thoughtful conversation mm-hmm. um, as we are really just diving in on the, the surface level of this Yeah. Song. Well, thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed talking to you. Oh, that's great. That's uh, Michael J. Poulin, an associate professor of psychology at the University at at Buffalo. Um, Head over to theconversation.org to find his article because it was so good. We have more show coming up next. Imagine being in jail for editing your photos. Wow. Some people need to be in jail for editing their photos, actually. (laughs) got more show coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, so in Norway, um, they are throwing influencers in jail, honey. Lock them up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing. So they are basically saying that influencers on Instagram who don't clearly state if they've edited photos, which um, are advertisements, could be fined or imprisoned in this new law that's happening in Norway. This seems a little intense. It is extreme. It feels like, why are y'all focusing most of your energy? I don't know what's going on in Norway, but if they got everything else handled, and everything Maybe all good I'm and they're bored. Maybe they're like the Swedes. You know, <laughs> the Swedish people, they they let their children, their toddlers out unsupervised.
unsupervised. Yeah. Their doors are unlocked. So maybe they're just bored. You know, maybe they're just so bored where they're like, we got everything else together, but I'm over those damn influencers not telling me if they're photoshopped or not. Yeah, and they're getting really crafty. There's some really, really crafty like software now. Like, I think the videos get a little bit dangerous. Images, yeah. I kind of expect it, but when you're showing me like a new foundation primer and you using a, a a filter that's not an apparent filter, right. like you know how to right. do. When I was, quick story, when I worked in uh, reality TV, okay. unscripted Tell TV, there's this package, I think it was called Beauty Box oh. in the editing bay. Okay. And I'll just say, if you go back and look at some of your reality, your favorite reality television you shows. You can edit it through the TV? Yeah. Well, they would edit well, it. Well, through their system. Yeah, specifically <gasps> through on like confessionals. People would look extra bomb. <laughs> I won't say which people, but what? some people had whole episodes beauty boxed. Really? Where they're already gorgeous, but there's it's like moving fa- face tune for forty five hours. Personally, beauty. beauty I think box. it's in like the TV editing field. I don't know if you have access to it unless you get I like mean, a jailbroken version. Face tune is pretty awesome, but yeah. Okay, so this is according to regulations passed as an amendment to Norway's Marketing Act. Um, basically, this would include an influencer advertising to protect, um, but make their like so they make their lips bigger, enhancing muscles are making themselves look slim, uh, slimmer or bigger in certain areas. You know, I hmm, I, I wonder <laughs> because I, to be honest, anything is, happens here in America where we'll start wondering, well, why are, is all their attention on this? Like, why, what's the... And I honestly would not be shocked if, if America... They're trying to just, distract. Yeah, to try to, you know, start it. Like how trans people are at the center of a culture war that we and we just want to be left alone and live I mean, our lives. <laughs> but no, this does seem a bit, like you mentioned, Ryan, a bit extreme. Yeah. Just kind of flag the account, like how we're in America, how we are required to put hashtag ad or paid sponsorship. That's it. Why not just have something, you know, thrown up there like that? You don't have to jail people because they use a little Facetune girl. It's so simple. I don't even understand... Um, but let us know. Let's keep this conversation going. Do you think it's a little extreme? Hit us up at LGT Show on social meds. And of course, um, what? I was just thinking about like Photoshop with magazines. So like, how does that translate? If it's oh, okay, if, if Vogue is airbrushing their cover, why isn't it okay if, as me of an influencer airbrushing my photo? Yeah. Maybe Sorry, they're... I just thought that's just a thought that came in my mind. <laughs> Well, see, keep those conversations going <laughs> online. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. It's time for our yes, queen. Do you want to do it? You want to give it? No, you're here. You you hold it down. Okay, you okay. Hold, now, when you're not here, I hold it down for you. <laughs> Well, we are. We love our Yes Queen because honestly, it's a moment where we get to give our flowers and highlight people who are doing incredible things. And this one goes out to tennis superstar Naomi Osaka because guess what? This icon who was a tennis superstar on and off the court, um, now she has a Barbie doll to prove it. I love that. Are you kidding me? Uh, I she's love only that. 23 years uh 23 years old. Um she's a Japanese tennis champion who has won four Grand Slam single titles and is the latest star to be transformed into a Barbie doll. Um here is what the brand uh, Mattel said. We are incredibly honored to spotlight Naomi as part of our Barbie role model series. She has paved the way for future generations of girls to dream bigger and through her unwavering courage and honesty, shown the world the importance of being your own biggest champion. Um, She continues to break down uh, boundaries on and off the court and is a powerful role model to fans everywhere, which honestly, it's pretty everything. And 
She's even super excited about it. She said, it's such an honor honor to be a part of the Barbie role model series and to remind young girls that they can make a difference in the world. Y'all should check it out. This is one of those dolls that are collector's items. This is not something you take out of the package and let your toddler play with. This is a collector's item. Yeah, because it will probably be able to be sold for big money. And I'd be honored. I can't wait for the day they do the Charjacel Barbie. I mean, honestly, you're probably like that pillow on your couch. Everyone's probably going to think like it's Beyonce. She has a, a pillow on her couch. <laughs> and literally, they're like, oh, sure, is that you or your pillow? And it's literally a pillow of it's Beyonce. A, it's an animation of Beyonce that was gifted to me. <laughs> but it is, yeah, I get asked all the time, like, why do you have a, a picture, like a pillow of yourself on your couch? <laughs> and I look nothing like Beyonce. I should mention that. Oh, my God, it's hilarious. But, no, this is an absolutely amazing thing. And we just wanted to give a big yes, queen. Yes, queen. Yeah. Yes, Queen. And that does it for our show. Guess who's sticking around with me the entire week? Miss Charjacel. Yes, I'm just really tired. I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have fun this week. It's going to be a really good time. We're wishing, uh, you know, Shira an amazing time in Hawaii. We have so much more show because we're going to be talking about there might be a possible new variant and really what that actually means and also why is it so hard to forgive? Honey, it's going to be an emotional show tomorrow. (laughs) So get ready, buckle up because we got Let's Go there. Head over to the Odyssey app to make sure to check out all of our podcasts because, honey, we be talking about stuff and it's absolutely amazing. And stick around for Loveline where Dr. Chris will be covering battling ageism. I'm going to have to tune in for that. But y'all remember to slay and have a good night. Bye, y'all. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.